This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Hey, are you ready to supercharge your auto repair biz? This is Coach Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching. The weekly blitz is where industry expertise and business innovation collide, getting your engines revved up for the week ahead. Every episode is loaded with game-changing insights, up-to-the-minute industry updates, and practical tips to shift your business into high gear. We're talking about stuff you didn't even know you didn't know. Big shout out to our awesome sponsor, Shop Marketing Pros. Are you looking to shift your shop's marketing from zero to hero? Trust us, you don't want to gamble your livelihood on amateur marketing moves. Go pro with Shop Marketing Pros, your ticket to top-tier results. Find out how they can fuel your success at shopmarketingpros.com forward slash Chris. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome Hunt Demarest here today. Parmelis, he's rested, he's passed. I'm sorry. Hunt Demarest from Parmelis and Associates, I should say, to do it correctly. He's like Santa Claus, but only in reverse. He's rested up and now he's ready for the sprint through the tax season. Hunt also has a great podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. He gets business by the numbers. There we go. You got to build a suspense there for it. Right. Yeah, I do great. And then the lights, camera, action, and you just lose your <laughs> mind, right? I'm generally so, not recording mine live either. So it's, I would go with Tracy of like, all right, you know, if the roll uncut one came out, it would look, you know, sound a lot less polished than what people are actually hearing, right? Right. And I just do one take and then send it and they work their magic on it. So <laughs> shout out to Tracy Carm, everybody at Aftermarket Radio Network for making it sound good. So really what started this for me is I was listening to one of your podcasts and I don't know which one it was, but you had mentioned reconciling accounts, bank accounts, parts accounts, things like that. I'm having a lot of issues with shop owners here lately that either aren't reconciling, don't know how to do it properly. And I feel like they should, you know, if we're looking at shop owners my age, then they should have some sort of background of paper reconciling and be able to move it forward. What kind of things are you seeing on your side or just talk to me about reconciling? Yeah. And so you're exactly right, right? Like, Reconciling goes back to where, you know, I guess we still have a handful of people that still keep physical registers on this, but it's back to the days when you used to have a checkbook, right? You would be going down through and balancing your checkbook to make sure that you've accounted for all the money that you spent and all the money that you received. And if you thought you had a thousand dollars, but you only have 500, you probably would have wanted to know where the difference went. For a business, it's really no different. We don't really see a whole lot of financials that have not been reconciled because as a rule of thumb for our business, we're not going to close out. We're not going to review. We're not going to finalize any financials until the accounts are reconciled. What is the difference, right? What is reconciling that? Everyone's putting their raw information in. We spent this on a credit card. We paid this credit card, payroll, sales tax, everything. Why the reconciliation is so important, and this should be done at the end of the month, is you need to make sure that every single expense, every single income that you have is accounted for on the financial statements or accounted for in the bank account. Imagine if you went and you closed the financials for the month, then you had not put in a $10,000 payment to your parts vendor, right? Imagine if you closed out the month and you had forgotten to put payroll in there. Now, when you do the end of month reconciliation on this, you would go down through and you would notice that immediately. And it's also just as common to do something else of, hey, why do my parts margins look so bad? Well, if I go and I look there, there's two payments to the same parts vendor for the same amount. That's a duplicate. Again, that stuff would have been caught before the financials ever went out if this stuff was getting reconciled. And the reason why this is so important is, you know, when we 
uh, close out a month for our clients, we're giving them financials, we're giving them gross profit analysis, we're giving them report cards. And most people are using those financials to kind of, you know, look at trends, to set goals, to make changes and, and hold people accountable. You're hoping that those financials are accurate, but if you haven't reconciled them, then they could be accurate and they could be drastically different. And I think that this is probably the big pain point, you know, especially when it comes to working with a coach like you, Chris, is, hey, you're saying that you're not making any money. It doesn't match what your shop management software is saying. And it doesn't even really match to maybe what your goals are or to changes that you've made. And it really leads to a lot of, you know, frustration and headaches because can you really give, you know, certain advice to someone where you're not certain if the financials are accurate? I don't like it, but we still see it a lot, which just boggles the mind where I ask somebody for their income statement and they're like, what is that? Or I haven't done it in years or here's a piece of paper. And then you go into, you start talking about reconciling and they just don't have any of that. I don't know what they think that like they're hiding from the tax man or whatever or what the deal is. You yeah, know, the big what, thing on that too is what I always tell people is your deposits are 99% of the time in there, right? Your income is always going to be included on there. People very rarely miss a deposit on it. But what are the chances you didn't miss a single expense, a single bank fee, a single anything like that, right? So it's always generally when you're reconciling, it's usually going to be something that's going to find you money versus cost you money. One of the other things that I, I liked about what you said was holding you know, the accountability piece to it. And one of the things that I think that we've forgotten as an art or don't do is we pay our NAPA bill, we pay our World Pack bill, we pay all those bills with credit cards, and we don't reconcile that against all the parts tickets. You bring somebody like me in or even you, and you're like, it doesn't match. It doesn't match the shop management system. And you're telling me that you're following the parts matrix all the time. But when I'm looking at it, we have a 25% parts mark. This is like a, probably the most common one, the disparity between shop management software and QuickBooks, because you could look at that as a form of reconciliation as well, right? Hey, a shopware, Napa tracks, TechMetric, that's what you think you're making. QuickBooks we're using as our check and balance to say, hey, we're shooting for and we're supposed to be getting 50% margin on parts. Why is QuickBooks showing 20% margin? And now the reason of why, you know, there's a couple stages and a lot of different types of reconciliation is... If you have that duplicate payment in there for Napa, then as soon as you get rid of that duplicate payment to Napa, the parts margin is in line and it's going to make sense. But just think about that situation. If you were not savvy enough to say, hey, I think something might be wrong here, or I don't think we can just use these you know, numbers you know, in a vacuum, you might go back to them and say, well, hey, based on this, we need to keep on increasing that parts margin. Or we have service advisors that are overriding this because this is just not making sense. Or like you said, hey, we have a theft issue where, you know, for that situation, it's like, no, it's as simple as a duplicate charge. Bank reconciliation would have noticed that in all of two minutes. Instead, we just wasted five hours going down through and chasing for a theft that just never happened there. You know, and the same thing on the parts reconciliation side of it. Reconciling a bank account, especially if you're using online banking, QuickBooks online, goes extremely quick. And if you're using online banking, QuickBooks will actually do it for you because it knows what you sent out and knows what you've accepted and stuff like that. Parts reconciliation, I'm not going to lie. You know, it is an undertaking on there. There's different softwares. There's technology that you can use. But essentially, at the end of the day, there's no getting around. I need to verify everything that I paid for, I see on a customer's ticket and vice versa. 
I don't have other shops parts on my invoices. I've seen that happen. If you're not reconciling your cores, warranties and returns, I guarantee you that you're not getting all of them. Right. Much, yeah. It's hard to tell, but that is an issue. And as you laugh, Chris, you've seen this. This is not a nap problem. This is not an AutoZone problem. It's just humans. We have a driver coming to pick up stuff that you think, well, hey, if it's off of my lot, I'm now getting the credit. They're very good at picking them up off the lot. I've seen videos of my shop that had those drivers drive right to the back of their shop and throw all those cores in a dumpster. Do you think that they're getting any credit? Oh, wow. I've seen the craziest stories on it, but the long and short is, is if you are not looking at this stuff, if you're not bugging these parts houses, you're not going to get these credits. Now, magically, when you start bugging them, usually they say, hey, we can't mess around with Chris anymore because he's right. going to call us up and he's going to you know, badger us until we get it. Yeah, they're going to have to figure out how to come get their parts driver out of my dumpster after exactly. I put his body in there, right? Well, and two, people should have a, a process like, okay, instead of just letting them grab the cores off the table, there's got to be a return slip and that return slip has to go to somebody else and whatever the process and procedure is, you have to follow it from start to finish. Well, and that's the big thing here, you know, because essentially all this is fraud prevention, right? right? We're trying to prevent, you know, mismanagement of our bank accounts. We're trying to manage mismanagement of our parts as well, too. Reconciliations are going to catch it, but reconciliations catch it after the fact, right? So yeah, found it, but what are you going to do to fix it in the future? And that's exactly right. like what you said of, well, what is the process and procedure in place so that if those procedures are followed, theoretically, there could never be an issue that happens. There's always going to be stuff or there's always going to be exceptions. But really at that point, if you have the proper process and procedures in place of, hey, when a court comes in, the ticket goes here, then it goes here, then it gets stamped here. Now, when you're going to do the reconciliation, you're not only reconciling you know, your shop management software, you're also reconciling your procedures. And that's how you fill in the gaps. How did this happen? We have process and procedures in place, so this never could happen. And then what you end up finding out is, especially for like warranties and cores, where every vendor does them a little bit differently. Some do labor claims, some don't. What you'll highlight is, how did this one slip through the cracks? Oh, well, see, this one was a little bit different than other ones. So we did it like this. All right. Now the new process procedure is going to include that so that, again, we're hopefully stopping this stuff before it ever happens. And, you know, we were talking about theft earlier. There's also such a thing as owner theft, right? Like, I feel like they, they're like, oh, I'm the owner. I can do this. But I had a situation several years ago where the bookkeeper, and I had never spoken to the bookkeeper before. We'd emailed back and forth and she always sent me just what I needed and everything. She called me in tears and she was like, we're broke. We don't have any money. I'm like, what do you mean? All the things that I'm seeing, we're, we have good margins. We have everything else. I shared with her what the owner was sharing with me. I didn't realize that he had a $200,000 a year race car habit and that all the expenses for the race car were coming through the business, but he didn't tell me about any of it. He didn't show me any of it. And they were all the money they were making was going to that. And she just, just lost her mind. I see all kinds of stuff. I hear all kinds of stuff. But really the thing is, is just be truthful, especially if you hire somebody like me or you, be truthful and honest. You should be fine. But some of that stuff you can't do, right? Like, Well, and also... You know, you're adding variables to the financial statement. You know, if you're playing around with the cash, then, you know, I always tell my clients this, you taking out cash looks the same as your service advisor, your bookkeeper, your wife, your brother, your cousin, and there's no paper trail. It's just cash. So if we know that you're playing with the cash because you do or doing whatever with it, right? Then we essentially have to give the disclaimer of can't hold us responsible because if we see a discrepancy, we're going to assume that you know where it is. Right. right. And the same thing with the race car. You know, it's kind of funny because I just did a, my podcast this week. It's about 
deducting race car expenses on it and kind of okay. the work to go along with it. But yeah, I get it. Trying to bury this stuff, trying to leverage, you know, your hobbies as a tax deduction on it, right? Come on. Like it's, we're not going to act like, wait, what? This is going on here. You know, but the big thing is, is, hey, you're leveraging this to try and get a tax deduction, but are you losing the effectiveness of your financial statements? Right. Right. Because if you look at this and we're going down or we're reconciling this or we're not, and we're saying, all right, we're at 20% in QuickBooks, we're at 50% in, you know, our shop management software. And it must have been a race car. It must have been a race car. Anytime there's a different, it must have been a race car. But buying parts for race car looks the same as that ex-employee buying parts under your account. Looks the same as people selling stuff out of the back of their shop. You know, I teach a class on fraud, but you know, it's pretty funny the kind of creative things that I've seen happen, of, even down to one of the technicians selling inspection stickers on Craigslist. And people were literally driving up to the shop and he was sticking them on the back, which is hilarious because anyone that knows about inspection stickers, it's very easy to track down where someone got that stuff. And maybe that's a podcast we need to do together of just all the crazy things we've seen or heard of people stealing out of the business. I had a shop, a shop owner several years ago send me income statements and says, Chris, I don't know what's going on. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, somebody's stealing from you. I just don't know who yet. We're gonna have to figure out how to do it. Come to find out he had two different people stealing from him at the same time. We caught the service advisor first who was deleting tickets and taking cash. But the way we found that is just reconciling parts and being like, okay, this part was water pump for this, but we don't have a this. What happened? And then once we figured that out, we found out that his wife, who was keeping the books, was stealing from him as well. So we had to remedy both those situations and move on. So it's definitely creative. Yeah. And the big thing there too is, you know, if you're the shop owner that's loud and proud, hey, that's, I don't look at these numbers, you know, hey, that's rounding errors. The team knows about that. They know Chris doesn't look at the books. They know that if a part is on there without the proper documentation, no one's going to call them out. You're giving them enough leeway for this stuff to happen. I don't want to hear, oh, you know, they would never do that. They're family. Those are the only people that ever steal from my clients because they're the only people that you ever give them enough, you know, ability to. If you don't trust a person, if you know that person is slimy, they're never going to steal from you because you're never going to give them access to your bank account, right? right. You're never going to give them carte blanche on your, you know, purchasing accounts, your service advisor of 20 years, your wife, your sister. Right? We just had a one recently on it where it was a sibling that actually stole. Now, client is extremely nice. The sister still works there. She just doesn't handle the money, but it's a lot more forgiving than I would be. For yeah. I was going to say that's another body in the dumpster. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sister, no longer have a sister. I just have right. a mother. Well, when I first started working, we had a I worked in a, a multi-location Goodyear store. One of the store managers had gone and opened an account as Steve's Goodyear. And so back then we took a lot of checks. So he would have people fill out the checks to Goodyear and delete the ticket and then just go cash all the checks. So anything that we got in a check was done that way. And he stole, I think over 18 months, like a hundred and something thousand dollars and I was the one that actually caught him by mistake because we had a customer come in want warranty work done. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't ever see yeah, like any ever been a customer. And then just so happened, like the owner was there that day. And I'm like, can you help me with this? And he's like, yeah, lady, we don't, we never had you in here before. And she's like, well, I can show you the canceled check. And that led us down to the rest of it. So you're like, okay. Yeah. But that was one of those lessons that when I went from employee to owner, I was like, yeah, we're going to make sure that checks, we're not going to take many checks. 
Well, and that's the big thing here, right? Like, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. Probably wouldn't have been called less your boss. The owner at that time was there. You might right. have been like, I don't know. I'll set up a new one. Like, I don't want to argue this old lady. Sure. Yeah, we got all your history and we move on. And this stuff never happens on our clients that are smaller shops where the owner is still on the calendar. It doesn't right. happen to our clients who our shops are still reconciling their books and looking at QuickBooks on it, right? This happens from people that, you know, probably to their own success have been able to get out of the day-to-day operations and have, you know, empowered people to do this stuff. But that doesn't mean that you're exempt from the advisory portion of it. Trust, but verify. Hey, I trust in you to do my books, but I need to be verifying that you're doing your job. Because if you give up that level of trust, it's just that, right? You're taking a leap of faith. You are very vulnerable. And if the person does everything right, and, you know, I have tons of clients that have bookkeepers that, you know, I would, be shocked if they ever did anything to my clients. Probably majority of them. Like I don't think that most people would do this, but every single person that I've, you know, not every single majority of the ones that I found out, I said the same thing. Holy cow, I never thought Chris would have done that. But he did. And, you know, here we are. It's really unfortunate because I think it definitely makes you a bit salty and think, hey, you can't really trust anyone. But I think anyone that's old enough realizes, hey, Money makes people do some really, really strange things that you would never imagine. Well, and, you know, we had another shop owner that somebody else was filing all their taxes, like their quarterly tax payments, their state sales tax payments, kept all that money. Like the owner was signing off on it, but they were transferring the money from from his account to their account. He did that for like 25 different businesses to like over $300,000 in like a year or 18 months. So it was anyway, you just need to be looking, need to be watching out. So you mentioned the fraud now Chris, class. Now Chris is throwing, uh, you're throwing accountants under this. Same person, if the same person I'm thinking about, or there's actually been a couple of it, but yeah, I mean, it's, you can take a look at what me and my team are doing on it, but you should, like, I have nothing to worry about. We don't do, you know, trust accounts and stuff like that. But yeah, there's been some pretty terrible situations over the years that I've seen of clients that we've gotten from other accounting firms. One specifically where they owed the government right around half a million dollars because for four <laughs> years... Every single payroll tax that they had, they sent to their account because their account was supposed to be paying it. Right. Long story short, the accountant had some sort of massive pyramid scheme going on there, changed over. So all the notifications went to the accountant, not my client on this. And so here, finally, the only reason it came up is if you ignore the IRS for long enough, they will show up with guns like they have yeah. you know, revenue yeah, they, officers. Yeah. So they got to knock on a door and said, hey, we're here for the IRS. You owe us this much money. And the guy laughed like, no, I don't. I paid all of it. It's like, yeah, I don't think you heard that correctly. You might have paid this. We never received anything. Terrible part about that is the IRS said, okay, man, that is a terrible story, Chris. You did pay Sucks to this, be you, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to need this money. Whether awesome. you pay it or you go and get that from the accountant and pay us, like it has everything to do with you. It right. has nothing to do with the accountant. And that was the part that was really kind of shocking to me of like, wow. So yeah. these people might actually have to pay this another time because someone else stole money because they say, hey, that's a civil issue between you and that accountant on it. Right. You plus, owe us taxes. Plus penalties and interest plus too. Penalties. Might yeah. be able to get out of the penalties on that one, but still, you know, coming up with another half a, half a million dollars that you already paid is our Just randomly. Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow. And I, I've shared this story with other people before. I had the state of Oklahoma came down and this lady walks in very unfriendly. And so she was from the Oklahoma Tax Commission gun badge. She looked around. She slapped a big orange sticker on the door and said, you can finish the cars you have, but you can't take any more cars. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? 
And so like four months earlier, we missed one tax payment. I don't know what happened to it. I know we paid it. I had the check here, like where we sent it in, but then she wouldn't, I couldn't pay the state over the phone. I couldn't pay with a credit card. I had to have us like a certified cashier's check. And so I had to drive like two and a half hours, go deal with the Oklahoma Tax Commission, come back. But about six months after that, I got this little letter in the mail that said, hey, we were changing offices and we found a stack of checks and your check happened to be in this pile and we wanted to return that to you. And I was like, well, you know, where, where was that when we needed it so months ago? The other thing is maybe on the reconciliation in some way we missed that it didn't get cashed. You would have caught that right there, right? Of Yeah. Well, hey, we have this check in here. Why did this check not clear, right? And if you right. see something where I'm reconciling December right now and I see some for December 31st, okay, it's like they haven't got that yet. But that would have been abundantly clear of like, hey, not only was this written out on the 15th, this was my sales tax. And those guys cashed this stuff immediately. Yeah. What's going on here? And should have hopefully been able to catch that. But everyone gets nervous about the IRS. Like I have not had a single person it's arrested, a... put in jail for the IRS. I have had people actually put in jail for sales tax. I've seen this and sales tax people have no sense of humor whatsoever. If you're not giving them sales tax money, then... As far as they're concerned, they have no benefit for you. And they'll, like you said, they'll shut you down. They'll chain your doors right. shut. They'll levy your bank accounts. They'll take everything that you have on it. And when Hunt says they'll levy your bank account, what happens is if you don't look at your bank account for two or three days and deposits have been made and you're like, oh, I should have $27,000 in there. You go open it up. It's empty because they've taken every penny out of your account with no notification to you whatsoever. And then when you call the banker to chew their ass out about it, it's like, oh, well, we're not supposed to tell you about that at all. I'm like, it's my account. Like I can't even go in and deposit money into my account without showing an ID, but you'll let the the state or feds or whoever suck money out without notifying me. And it's a small town in a lot of cases. And you're like, we had lunch together yesterday and you didn't bring it up. It's crazy. They'll take it. They'll take, you know, a lot of times they'll freeze more than you even owe them. These accounts are frozen on it. Any of recurring charges, checks still out there are going to bounce. Yep. You know, and then the hard part for a lot of people is, all right, you know, like the one I'm talking about that ended up not, they didn't end up going to jail, but they did get their doors changed shut and all of their accounts frozen and they would not unfreeze the accounts until my client paid them the remaining amount. And this was silly. I mean, we're talking about in the grand scheme of things, all in penalties, interest, everything like 20,000 bucks of sales tax, right. not very much money here, but they went back to the state and they said, so you won't unfreeze our bank accounts. How are we supposed to do business? Right. I can't yeah. even deposit this money to give to you guys. I can't write a check to my parts vendors in order to put parts on to sell this. And the state's response? I don't care. Gotta figure that out, right? Yeah. Now, they're smart because you give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. And what did my clients do? I don't know how they figured it out, but they did. And they gave them the twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars $26,000 from mom, dad, friend, or whatever. And they got back to doing business. But yeah, I mean... The IRS could say, I'll pay you back over the course of 10 years or if you yeah. are insolvent enough, you can get out of it. Sales tax, you know, it's other people's money. It's not yours. You know, a customer paid you to give to them. Same with some of the payroll tax stuff. They call those trust taxes. Trust taxes are looked at much, much, much differently than income tax and not in a good way. I see more shop owners get in trouble over sales tax and then 1099 stuff, which is just... You know, if you're a business owner, you have to collect and pass that tax through. The other thing is I see a lot of sales tax on income statements. I'm like, that shouldn't be on there. That needs to be on the balance sheet. There's, I don't know, I don't know who told you to put it there, but it shouldn't be there at all. 
A lot of people do sales tax on the PL statement on ones that are just doing true old school cash in, cash out, right? I guarantee you that most of the ones you're seeing have sales tax on the PL. You know, the sales probably aren't matching up with the shop management software because they're just saying, hey, all the deposits in there, sales tax, sales, everything is all going there. And then what's coming out is all your expenses, then sales tax expense. And the biggest reason I think that you see that a lot of times, Chris, is if the accountant doesn't know or doesn't understand a shop management software, then they have no way to verify sales or see what makes up that deposit, what is sales tax and what is not. The only way that they can figure it out is when they ultimately pay that sales tax amount. I've got something that this has crept up again here lately in the Western part of the United States for some reason, I don't know. And I used to see a lot of this 8, 10 years ago, but I would have a shop who wouldn't collect any sales tax and wouldn't pay any sales tax. And so what they were doing is they were going and buying parts. If they bought it at $25, then they sold it for $25, but didn't do anything else with it. And I'm like, you know, when I started talking to them, like, okay, we need to sell that part for $50. And then they're like, well, I'm not collecting any sales tax on it. And so they let that be a crutch to making money. So I don't know if you see that a lot still. And I don't even know what the ramifications or thought on that is or where that came from originally. So the big caveat is state-by-state specific. Sales tax for this industry is notoriously tricky because if you look at whatever state you're in listening to this right now, you'll probably find out that the auto repair shop doesn't really fit into one bucket. We don't sell products and we don't sell service. You know, an auto repair shop is what we call a mixed service industry. And so that's where already right there, the lines get a little bit blurry because we're not just selling you a tangible product, right? A water pump, we're installing that water pump, you know, it all goes along with it. The other thing too is if you look at a lot of sales tax stuff, dealerships have their own rules. Dealerships have very good lobbyists and most states, the rules for dealerships do not apply to an independent repair shop. Right. You might be doing the exact same thing, but they have different sales tax that they do for a car dealership than you do at your shop. Texas, I know off the top of my head, is one that you're allowed to do this on. So in Texas, you're allowed to go out and you're allowed to buy the parts and you have to pay tax on the parts, just like if you're a retail customer. In turn, if you turn around and you sell that to a customer as a one-line item, hey, water pump installed for $1,000 on it, you do not need to pay sales tax. Someone paid tax on that part. Now, some states will kind of allow you to do what you're doing there. Not officially, but essentially what they're saying is, hey, you paid, you know, Napa 6%. You sold this to the customer for the same $25 and didn't charge them tax. We don't care. We've already got our 6% from you. Now, more and more states are not liking that because they're getting tax on roughly half of what they should be, right? Right. They, they want their slice, the big slice. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're paying them 6% on 25 bucks. They want 6% on 50 bucks of what we sell to someone. What I always tell people is sales tax doesn't cost you any money. It's costing the customer money. And so you play around with these games. You try to do this stuff so the customer's paying less sales tax. I'll argue two things. One is you're probably not making a massive difference for the customer. You're taking that ticket from 440 bucks to $431. Right. Ooh, right. And the other thing there is if you get audited and they do not like your aggressive stance, they do not agree with your judgment on this. I can't go back to Chris and say, hey, uh, you were in here, you serviced, I searched your vehicle last year a couple of times on it, you owe me 32 bucks, I didn't charge you enough sales tax. No, all of that. So if I go and have a sales tax on there, like you goofed up. We want it on our 50 bucks, not our 25 bucks. 
we now need 30 grand. That's coming out of my pocket as the business right. owner. Overtime yeah. sales tax. If there's a question, charge it. It's not your money. It's the customer's money. Oh, should I charge on shop supplies? I can't. Yeah, we're charging sales tax on shop supplies. It's not going to make a major difference on it. And I'll tell you what, if you get an audit, they will tell you, hey, you don't need to charge sales tax on that anymore. They're not going to let me keep that money. But the other way around, they're going to want it back. So you're not going to get in that much trouble for charging more than you need to. They might even give you a little bit of, uh, hey, that's cool. I've never actually seen a sales tax audit where we've gotten money back. I did have one where my customer actually did screw up and they were in California and she was supposed to get like three grand back on a sales tax audit where I was like, I've never seen this before. Magically, she came up with some penalties or adjustments where I think we ended up having to pay in like 25 bucks. I'm like, right. I think that this person gets fired from the state of California if they audit someone and then they go back and boss, how did it go? Yeah, we owe them $3,200. Right. Sonny, Um, that's not how these audits are supposed to go. Yeah. Not to open another can of worms, but we got audited for farm tax and got busted. I bought the business from somebody else. We did it the same way we'd always done it. The state of Oklahoma came in and um, audited us for farm tax. Again, it's state to state. But what they found was the rule is, is anything with a tag for highway use, you have to charge sales tax for. They came up with a, a big amount for us to have to pay. And I'm like, why Why do I have to do this? How am I going to get it? And they go, well, just call all your people and, and have farmers pay you the tax that, that they don't agree with to begin with. And then go, and I'm like, yeah, okay. So we just paid it and moved on. But we were very, very strict after that. Like if, it's, if it has a tag on it, you got to pay sales tax. There's areas to save money. Don't save money on somewhere where it's not actually saving you any money. You right. Know, I get it. You're coming from a noble place of trying to you know, spend your customers' money wisely. But what ends up happening to a lot of people in the long term is, hey, you're helping them out in the short term and probably long term too. But long term, it's really a disservice to yourself because someone's going to pay it. And once that customer leaves, that farmer leaves... Yeah, yeah, they're not coming back to give you sales. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're never, you're never getting that money back. You did m- mention your fraud and prevention class. Now, you're going to teach that at STX, aren't you? I believe we are teaching that again. Actually, you would know that. Yeah, I think you're part of the. I'd have to pull it up and look, but I didn't know. I believe, are you- I believe we are teaching that fraud and prevention class on it, and then I think down there we are doing the fraud and prevention, and I think we are also doing one about you know, evaluating a business, then transitioning the sale to you know, a second in command, outside person and, and kind of everything else in between there. Any other teaching that you're doing, vision, anything else coming up? Yeah. So we got vision. I guess Chris and I both, you teach at vision too, right? No, I'm not going to be at vision you're this not, year. You're not vision this year? All right. So no. I will be teaching a class at vision. So I teach on Thursday night. I'm pretty sure that is a fraud class, but okay. I could be wrong on that. And then I believe I have a roundtable discussion on Friday, a bit morbid, but, you know, again, just like Chris and I were talking about before, I'm sure he has situations like this of how to make sure that you're preparing yourself if the worst case does happen, that you're incapacitated, right. you die. Unfortunately, we've seen a, a number of these situations over the years where if you're not sharing this with people, you know, the breaking case of emergency or, or even having some of those kind of hard conversations to set up your estate you're really leaving your legacy severely tarnished when obviously it's already a terrible situation. And now they got to figure out how the business continues to run. Using our experience on that, and there's a couple other shop owners that have done some of this stuff and have been through some of it to hopefully share the knowledge with you know people to try and avoid it. Yeah, it happens a lot. We're all only getting older, right? So got to be prepared and set your business up to succeed. 
Thanks for joining us today, Hunt. I know we started out one place, ended up another. Um, I, there's, right? I know, right? And I mean, there's a lot of useful information in there if you just listen. Big thing is reconcile your accounts, pay the the state tax people, do what you do and keep going. So again, Hunt Demaris, Parmelis and Associates, the Business by the Numbers podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Thanks for joining us, Hunt. Thanks, Chris. In the world of auto repair, success is not handed to you. You got to seize it. It's all about strategic decisions, effective management, and a thirst for knowledge. Our show, The Weekly Blitz, is your trusted resource every step of the way. A big shout out to our listeners. Your dedication to growth fuels our passion. And let's not forget our fantastic sponsor, Shop Marketing Pros, who make this show possible. They're all about top-tier marketing for shops just like yours. Until next time, I'm Coach Chris Cotton signing off. Keep those gears running smoothly. Keep learning. Keep growing. In this business, every day is a chance to get better. It's time to rise and grind, everybody. Here's to your ongoing success. Stay driven, everyone. You've been listening to The Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the aftermarketradionetwork.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.